Hello and welcome to the Farm Forum with FCN Glasgow. This week on Farm Forum, Bromby 3, FC Northland 1, Celtic 5, Rangers 0. Yeah, we've had better Sundays. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Farm Forum with FCN Glasgow. My name is Matt Collins and as before I'm joined by Stephen Gilland. Hi everyone. Just before we delve into the match I just want to say thanks for the support that we've had on all social media platforms. We're always looking for feedback, this is a very new venture to ourselves so we're always looking to try and get better both in terms of content and in terms of sound quality as well so your feedback is very important. If there's anything you'd like to talk about feel free to drop us a line either at FCN Glasgow on Twitter or via our Facebook page or email us at fcnglasgow at gmail.com. One of our key supporters, Stevens, clearly Casper Hulman, because going into the Bromby game, we had said on our last pod on episode one that we wanted to change the system, go to 4-3-3, and he's actually picked the exact team that we selected on the pod. Do you think he's listening in? He definitely must be. I think the team that we went out with was the right one. Uh, I think it gave us the right shape. It was a shape that worked at home. It was definitely the right, the right way to go about the game. I felt I felt overall, and we will break the, the game down in a little bit more detail, but I felt overall get more of a footing in this game at the start, especially first half than we did in the, the game in Farham. I felt as if the 4-3-3 just has allowed us to get that shape. But it, it didn't start in the, the best of circumstances in terms of the first five minutes. Um, There's a couple of chances uh, that fell to Bromby. One with a bit of a, a risky play from Alex with the ball at his feet that clearance was nearly blocked by Timo Puki. That was almost a disaster from the get-go. But this time round, it was us that actually broke the deadlock. Um, a bit of dallying at the back from uh, Rocker and in was able to nip Jonathan Amon, another guy we waxed lyrical about and he showed the electric pace that we discussed in the last pod. Yeah, this is probably the first time that I've seen Amon where um, I felt, felt he looked like our best player in a, in a class above. I felt that every time he... He ran at anyone. He seemed to have enough pace to burn and get past them. Um, and he, I think he takes the goal extremely well. Um, it's a great finish. Um, I actually think it's a great wee touch from Asante as well, um, just to just to make him go through. He doesn't need to break stride. Um, and what a finish it is! He does. He, he does really well. I think it's a good point on Asante as well because sometimes in that situations when it when the ball breaks you so fast, sometimes you you rush it. And what Asante did, he, he did things quickly, but he just made a great little touch into Amon, like you said, right in his stride. Couple of touches. He still had a lot to do. To be fair to him, and there's maybe an argument to saying that Asante could have got it back, but bags of confidence to take that on his right foot and uh, slot it away really nicely. And what a great start to the game! And then uh, a sucker punch pretty pretty soon after that. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I think um, it felt eerily similar to probably some of the the first half of, in Farham where the uh, Bromby some nice interchange from them. To be fair, um, they cut us open quite easily. I felt like whilst it was kind of nice play from Bromby, a quick uh, round the corner pass actually. I think towards Timo Puki, but we were just a little bit too committal on the edge of the box there. I think it's Nelson at first who dives in and gets bought a little bit by that pass around the corner, and then Ulrich tries to go across to to sort of cut out the the cutback if you like. And Minnie's obviously on the cover um, with Wilczek and uh, dives in and, and Wilczek's really clever. He just delays that movement and, uh, and finds, the, finds the top corner. Um, a great finish, to be fair to the guy, but um, just a little bit too overcommittal in defending, do you think? Um, yeah, there's a couple of dive-ins, but 
I think it comes from trying to, to try and get in the way, I suppose. Um, it is some great movement from them. There's a couple of great passes. I'm sick of the sight of a, a team of Pookie this season and last. I think just because the guy, he's, he, I mean, he obviously he's had a spell in Scotland. Uh, I think because he was a bit of a joke figure in Scotland, he, he came with a, bright, a big reputation and a big price tag and just didn't really live up to it. I think he's uh, he's punishing us now every single time we watch him. We spoke about this on episode one. I think I don't know how many goals that is Pookie's got against us, but um, he just forever seems to to get a goal or causes problems. We'll come on to his goal later, but he, he just seems to cause his problems um, every single time we play him. And to be honest, he was almost nearly gifted uh, a goal first half. Uh, Mikael Rigar getting caught being a little bit too casual in the right back position. Um, and he tries to play a ball across his own box and it gets blocked and it falls to Puke. But what an absolutely incredible save from Alex, lowing down to his left-hand side. Unbelievable. What about you? Do you think that was 2-1 waiting to happen there? Yeah, when the ball falls to him, it still looks like it's just a tap-in for him, to be honest. It's incredible reflexes from, from Alex. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've seen the Inyaki Kanya videos, um, the Norseland goalkeeping coach on uh, YouTube. Some of the drills that he does with Alex and Peter Rindal and stuff like that, it reminded me exactly like that. Just all of these small drills, low and down quickly. Uh, um, anyone that's not seen those videos, I would recommend them highly enough. Um, I'm no goalkeeping coach. I'd, I'm probably quite overcritical of goalkeepers at times, but you, you, really it comes across like the best in the business. So this will give you a new insight into goalkeeping training, some of the drills that he goes through with the goalkeeper. I think his YouTube name is just Inyaki Kanya. I, I can't recommend it highly enough um, to, to go and watch some of those drills. But Stephen, just moving on quickly, I feel as if we have to address this. Um, probably the most controversial part of the game, round about half an hour mark, 35 minute mark, I think it was. Ball in the, out in the right-hand side is, is fed into the box. Ernest Asante looks an absolute certainty to get on it and probably score and he's completely wiped out and of course our good old friend Mikel Tika is nowhere to be seen no penalty what's your thoughts on that Stephen? It's, it's an absolute stick on um, I don't see how the referee can can look at it and not think it's a penalty he's actually in a pretty decent position when the when the ball comes through it, it's an absolute stick on penalty I just, he actually fouls him twice because he's, he's got his arms on him and he trips him at the same time I just I don't know what Tika's think it's happened there. Asante's walking onto the ball. He's got a shooting opportunity, probably likely to score. I don't know why he's accusing him of just falling over. What? What? Why would Asante choose to go down in that type of situation? I have no idea what he thinks is happening. It's an absolute clear cut penalty, as clear as they'll come. But once again, that man, he just he just seems to be an absolute nightmare for us. And not to sound too paranoid as if I'm wearing a tinfoil hat or anything, but I feel as if it's not the first time that we've suffered from a decision from Michael Teacard. And um, in fact, I actually remember a decision. I don't know if you can remember the game, but I, th- I think it may have been Casper Roman's um, first game back um, when, he, when he got the job. And we were one up away away from home. Was it V-Buck? I can't remember the team, but I remember the exact um, incident. It's the one where it's a it's a free kick on, on Ramon. That's the one. Um, and he is pushing the back, falls onto the ball and handballs it um, on the way down. And he gives handball and a penalty. That's the decision. That's in who was a, the referee that day? Our good friend, Michael Teacard. He also was involved in a little bit of controversy um, just a few weeks ago, the sending off of Victor Nelson in Farham. Perhaps not as controversial as this decision, two yellow cards. Maybe you could argue that they're both yellows, but I, th- I thought they were pretty soft. Um, two tackles, I-, I didn't really feel it was a red card, but 
the, the other point I'll just make on the, on that penalty decision is if, if it gives it, do you think there's a case for Mukhtar to be sent off there? Yeah, I think he goes. I think um, it's a clear pullback in the area. He's not attempting to win the ball. I actually think it's quite daft from him um, in the end because it's, it's not an easy chance for Asante to get on the end of. But it's cynical. Um, Let's face it. I mean, I, I like Ennis Asante. He scored a lot of goals, but at times he's not the most clinical. So you're right. I think if uh, Mukhtar lets him go there, he's, he's maybe not going to score. But I just don't understand why that's not a penalty. It's so so blatant, and it just changes the game. I think. I think if if Northland score the penalty and Mukhtar sent off, then all of a sudden you're looking two one ahead, possibly going into half time and playing against ten men. It's just such a critical critical moment. Um, and that, that's not to take anything away from the final result Bromby as we'll go on to in the second half um, I felt as if they really started to get a grip in the game and we fell out of it a lot more um, with a couple of chances at the start um, I remember down the left hand side almost instantly um, Kofod got in down the left hand side plays a ball back Mikhail Damsgaard makes a lovely little run to the front post it just goes through his legs but it falls out to Bartolek in the edge of the box and, and he just uh, snatches at it a little bit and then not too long after that, again, the Mikhail Damskar, who we'll come on to in a little bit more detail later, he has a chance at the back post where the ball's kind of in the air, diagonal ball across to him. It looks as if he's going to take it on his right, but he fakes the defender. He just doesn't quite get it under control and the ball just sits up by the time it's in his left foot, which which just allows this uh, defender um, to come back in. But like I said, Stephen Bromby got themselves um, into the game a little bit more and it didn't take them too long to go 2-1 up. And a point you made on episode one, a bit more vulnerability from corners again. Um, yeah, so looking back at the corner, I don't really know what happens with the marking or where where something goes wrong but Vilcek's completely on his own and has a complete free run at it I think any time a, a corner comes in to be met at the three yards out and you, you feel as if your goalkeeper should claim it I don't know if the movement in the ball kind of puts Alex off and there's lots of bodies in front of him so I'm probably being unfair it, The ball definitely gets whipped in at pace but I, I agree I, th- I think when the ball lands where it does which you're maybe talking 3-4 yards off the goal line you're looking maybe Alex like he did about maybe 5 minutes after this particular instant you come, up, come out and get a fist on it he doesn't need to catch it just get something on it to take it away but your first point there, I think, is, is the key aspect for me. If anyone watches, have a little look on the replay and just pause it just before the corner's taken. The boy is standing absolutely all by himself at the back post. I don't know if that's a result of zonal marking. Someone um, who's a better coach than me will perhaps uh, point that out to me. But um, like you said, Stephen just has a complete free run at it. And maybe five minutes later or so, um, it was this time not directly from a corner, but um, the corner comes in, doesn't really get cleared properly and the ball breaks edge of the box uh, Jonathan Amon just waiting to clear it on his left foot and I think it's Johan Larson that pops in and debatable contact would you say um, as Amon tries to clear it and Larson go down as if he's been snipered in the box what's the debate? yeah well I, I, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I wanted to be impartial and neutral um, and it's going to sound like I think we had a stick on penalty and I think the penalty Bron got was not a penalty but um, that's just my opinion. I, I feel there's very, very minimal contact. I have to say that's with benefit of replay. I felt on the first angle when I was watching it live, felt that was a penalty. I thought he made. I thought he just kicked him on his way past. Not deliberately. He doesn't know Larson's coming in, but I thought it was a penalty. But on the replay, there's there's minimal contact at best. I, I don't think there's any contact. Um, I think I think um, Amon's quite rash in terms of the way he tries to clear the ball. 
and probably look, looks a bit wild the way he swings at it. But the, the guy gets down when he's shot as well. He no. makes the most of it. The Kieran Tierney effort. Yeah. Kieran Tierney, for those of you who don't know, is a, is a Celtic left-back who specialises in going down very easily. I, I think I think just to be clear on that, that, that's not an excuse for this game going the way it did. Um, I think regardless of these decisions... Brunby were the better team on the day and likely would have would have won. I think they missed a few chances as well. But in terms of talking points in the game, a lot of them were made by these decisions. I agree in terms of the way that the game turned out, but if you if you take it back to the very first incident that we're talking about, if we get a penalty with a Mukhtar on Asante and Hanny Mukhtar perhaps walks, it's a complete game-changing incident. So perhaps Brunby don't go on and win the game. I know I can't predict the future, but perhaps they don't win the game at that point. But... After that, Timo Puke slots away the penalty pretty comfortably, 3-1 Bromby, and the game sort of petered out at the end. Um, we had a couple of half chances towards the end of the match. I think Rasmussen had won with a header, and Mikael Riga probably should do much better with the chance that Rasmussen sets up for him on his left foot. Sadly, Stephen, despite the sort of entertainment value again, there was, there was enough there to be happy about going forward. We said the shape felt better, but at the end of the day, it ends up in another defeat. And I just wanted to touch a little bit on our form since we've returned from the, the winter break. I think when I had a look at this, I make a record since we've come back from the winter break. Four wins, three draws, six losses, and that's with 22 goals scored and 22 goals against. Now, if you compare that to the 13 games prior to the winter break, the record reads as seven wins, three draws, three losses, which is 24 points. So a difference of nine points there. And quite remarkably, 35 goals scored and 24 against. So only two more conceded, but 13 more goals scored than that previous period. It's too obvious a connection, the loss of Emiliano Marcondes? Yeah, I don't think so. And and that's not to say that, that someone like Mikhail Damgarsh couldn't become as good as Emiliano Marcondes. Um, but I think you're losing the, the Subaliwa top goal scorer and he's still the top goal scorer until a few weeks ago and someone who is, is pretty high up in the assist board as well so you, to try and replace that it is tough at the best of times to be um, brave enough to replace that with a 17 year old is, is, is a difficult void to fill I would say Absolutely and that, that, that's very much the, the way that Oshlan try and go about these things obviously they're always looking at the next guy on the conveyor belt in terms that they can bring through and like you say there's a there's real admiration about the bravery that that takes um, and I think that we also need to um, temper our expectations slightly as well is that let, let's face this at the start of this season when, when Norshaland had lost some of their most important players did you ever think that we would be sitting third and now slipped into fourth in the Super League at this stage of the season I have to say I didn't think so I thought that the, the impact of of losing the top goal scorer at that time which was Marcus Ingvartsen and then to lose the top goal scorer in Super League again like you said six months later in Emiliano Marcondes and everything else that surrounds Marcondes outside the goals and still be competitive to the point that it's a good chance that we're going to be still fighting it out for that third place and the automatic European qualification spot there is a huge bit of bravery by Norshaland to like you say throw in a 17 year old boy and I, ju- I just want to touch a little bit more on uh, Mikhail Damskar he, he had a few real flashes in the game in Farham and then again at, at Bromby Stadium there um at the age of 17, the maturity of the boy is absolutely incredible, Stephen. Um, I mean, when you think back, what, what are you doing at the age of 17 by comparison to, to Mikhail Damsgaard? I think I was still at school and Mikhail Damsgaard is turning on great performances in the, in the Super League. What, what, what do you put that sort of maturity down to? Um, I think it's the, the exposure that, that the players get to to the first team. 
So growing up in Scotland, there aren't many football clubs in Scotland that that would be brave enough to do that. I think what 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 you, you have to give credit to um, with Norseland is the like you said that bravery, but credit to the, the the way that they deal with the development of youngsters in general. Do you think because I, I watched the Celtic and Rangers under 17s cup final here in Glasgow during the week, and whilst there's some promising players there, they still look at maybe two or three years away in terms of their development. I'm not saying if you threw them in that they wouldn't develop quicker. I think Northland are very good at that, but the difference with Mikhail Damsgaard is that he already looks ready for that level at 17. That's the massive difference. He doesn't look as if he is out of place. He played a Matthias Jensen esque through ball to Ernest Asante in the first half of the weekend, where Asante probably. He's quite unlucky, but I think he should probably try and uh, score there as opposed to flick it over the goalkeeper. Um, he should probably shoot. But you've got to take your hat off to the way Norseland deal with not just the on-the-park coaching, but the off-the-park coaching. I make comparisons with young talent, particularly in England or maybe leagues that are a little bit overexposed. And Nowadays, youngsters are so spoiled by the money that they get so early and it affects their character straight away and they think they've made it, they think they're big time and it affects their performance in the park and you, you don't get any of that from Norseland. Um, you look at a guy like uh, Alex Runerson who at the age I don't know what Alex is and he's involved in the Common Goal project which is obviously kind of headed up, sponsored by uh, Juan Mata at Manchester United. That's an incredible thing to do at the age that Alex is at and it just goes to show just the work that the guys put in, not just to coaching them about the football but coaching them off the park as well. Your, your point to do with um, watching the Glasgow Cup, uh, the Rangers and Celtic under-17s, you're completely right. These, these guys don't look like they are ready to get thrown into that. And that's a lot to do with the fact that they don't get first team exposure. A lot of them don't even train with the first team. So to be in a position where you can do that and you're part of um, something as big as as common goal. And I, I think Alex gets national team exposure as well, doesn't he? He does indeed, yeah. He's, I think he's if he's not the number one yet, he's certainly not far off it. And then you look at um, the other stuff about the mini project. The only mini project that I'm aware of is, is mini for the national team. Um <laughs> But I've seen seen quite a lot of stuff on Twitter about the mini project. Yeah, it, it seems to be a bit of a teaser from many himself. Actually, on Instagram, I'd noticed um, lots of boxes packaged up, um, and he said coming soon. Hashtag the mini project. Um, I know he spent a little bit of time in, in Ghana, I believe, working with youngsters and stuff like that. So I'd imagine he's the next one that's that's going to come out with some sort of project in, in great forum. I mean, that, that again just endorses exactly what we're saying. But the, these young guys, they're, they're really grounded. They're talented, talented football who will go on and, and move away from Norseland no doubt but they just keep themselves sounds too cheesy but they develop themselves as, as men rather than just footballers which is, is credit to the club and the way they approached it now you, you touched on one of the youngsters that you'd spoken about in the last episode Stephen which was uh, Baden and how we weren't sure whether there was any fitness issues with Baden well I, I noticed in midweek that whilst the first team go to Herning to play Michland on Monday the, the reserves actually played them um, earlier on this week and Baden not only was in the starting eleven, um, he also scored in the first couple of minutes. Yeah, but Baden's a player that um, any time I've seen him, I've been impressed by him. He looks a little bit more physical than than the youngsters that we're used to, and I think he he looks like he's he, he's got real potential. As I said, I don't know if there's been fitness concerns, and that's why he's with the reserves. Um, I also seen that Mickelson scored in, through the week as well. 
He did. But, um, just on uh, Mickelson, actually, when you, when you bring them up, a little bit of um, transfer rumours surrounding um, Toby Mickelson. Um, a lot of press in Australia suggesting that uh, Toby's agreed to join Brisbane Roar at the end of the, the Danish season. Now, there's been no formal announcement by either club yet, but from everything coming from Australia, that sounds as if that deal is uh, pretty much done. And I'm sure I speak for you as well, Stephen, when we say, whilst it's maybe not worked out for Toby's second time round, we, we certainly wish him all the best. Yeah, definitely. I I think when you watch Toby the past uh, the past couple of seasons, you can see that the the mind's still there. The footballer mind is is definitely there, but his his injuries have just taken a bit of toll, and he's probably a really good guy to have in the dressing room, particularly in such a young dressing room. Yeah, I th- I think that's the big thing. I can't remember who we were speaking to the last time I was over in Denmark, but that that is one thing they actually mentioned specifically about Toby was just how how good an influence he is in the youngsters now. Like I say, it's perhaps not really worked out this time, but and I think maybe the move is best for both parties. But one thing you can never um, hold against Toby is he's an absolute consummate professional in the sense that he's been asked to do. I think he's been asked to play four or five different roles in this team this year when when we've been short of bodies. Um, I've seen him play right side of um, midfield or the wing back Carlo Bartlett position. I've seen him have to do the same in the left. I've seen him play as the central striker. So you can't argue. He just comes in, does a job. Whilst it might might not always be the Toby that we knew before you can't fault his effort um, so if that move actually does turn out then um, certainly all the best uh, to Toby I think that's probably a good move as well I think he the technique's definitely still there uh, I can remember the goal he scored from, from outside the box yeah I know the goal you're talking about actually um I think it was against Copenhagen and Farham, wasn't it? And um, there were two unbelievable goals that day and a 2 nothing win. I think Emre Moore got the, the, the first with an absolute wonder goal. He goes on a, an Emre Moore-style run, beats about three players and slots under the goalkeeper and then uh, Toby wraps it up with a 25-yard screamer into the top corner. He enjoyed that one. I remember the knee slide celebration. That's probably the probably the lasting uh, memory of Toby, I would say, in this spell is, is, is that absolute stunner. And... Hopefully everything works out for Toby. Like we say, we certainly wish him all the best. Now, guys, we mentioned that Herning is approaching fast and with the boys go there on, on Monday, another tough game. Now with Copenhagen, that two points ahead of us, it becomes even more important. We want to stay within that touching distance to turn the last game of the season into a playoff match that effectively means that it, the winner takes third place. That would be a good scenario. Obviously, the ideal scenario being that we just get it ourselves without that match, but... It certainly looks as if it's set up to be the game where that third place is decided. Now, just a couple of things to mention before we close on this episode. Uh, The Wild Tigers have announced that they are planning a get-together in the fan bar for the Alborg away game, which takes place on the 18th of May. We'd certainly encourage everyone to go along, watch that game in company of FCN fans and hopefully cheer the boys on to three points. So just lastly, um, we'll always appreciate feedback. So let us know what you think on either Twitter or Facebook. We're now available on iTunes as well, so drop us a wee subscription and you can let us know if there's anything in the future you want us to talk about. Just follow us on Twitter at FCN Glasgow or Mark. At Collins underscore 876. And lastly, me uh, at Thirteen. So all that's left to say is thanks once again, guys, for listening. And as always, we are FC Norshaland.